going on, everyone? Monday morning. Um, happy Monday to those of us who are taking advantage of the residual effects of the falling back. Um, I did a little bit of a of a deep dive on uh, time changes. Uh, this is a real exciting content that you guys wanna you wanna hear on this podcast. But um, so here's here's what happened. Like I would say, I don't think it was last year. I think it was two years ago. My wife set me up for ridicule by I think she saw that like maybe it was the Senate. I don't know if it was the Senate or the House. I think it was the Senate passed a bill to make daylight savings time permanent. So that's like what's what goes on during the summer. The the longer like stay stay light later permanent. And but she thought that it was it was a done deal. So she told me that it was a done deal. And then I like a moron um didn't check to see if it actually was a done deal. And then I just went around telling everybody. <laughs> everybody I'm talking to as we're coming into the, the fall. I'm like, Hey, you know, uh, no, no, uh, no fall back this year, blah, 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 this and that. And then uh, lo and behold, we're falling back. And I'm like, what the hell now? Now I just, I just told like 17 people that we weren't going to fall back this year because of what my wife told me. And, uh, and I just look like an idiot. Uh, she tried to pawn it off and blame it on uh, our son, can you imagine trying to blame this on a on a 10-year-old child? Actually, at that point in time, it was a nine-year-old child for telling her that. But hey, check your sources. Check your sources. That's all, that's all I got to say. And my wife works for the New York Times. So fake news, New York Times, once again, uh, took me down on this one. Uh, but anyway, we're falling back here. We're enjoying things uh, with a little extra rest this morning. My kids are at least old enough, thank God. Where on Sunday morning they can like get up and figure things out on their own rather than coming and bugging me, because I know otherwise uh, parents with young kids they have no respect for the for the falling back. So, uh, you know, if you guys are still in the shit, I would say with the young kids, um, you know, good luck to you. It, it, it will get better. It will get better. All right, let's get in. Let's get away from parental. Um, talk here and get into the week's happenings uh, for some reason i can't seem to pump up my uh my screen on here i don't know what's going on anyway i'm trying to pump up the screen for those of you on youtube so we can go through all the different games for the weekend let's start with sunday night football because i just wrote that one up so it's it's top of the mind uh yeah before i get into anything you know i should be better at plugging unexpectedpoint.substack.com. Get on there. Uh, I think I sent out this one as a free one. I'm sending out some of the Ireland games as freebies. And then if you want to get all the early window, late window Sunday action, uh, you subscribe. If you want to get all the adjusted the adjusted efficiency stuff, the power rankings, all that stuff, subscribe. But alas, let's get into the week here. And we'll start with Sunday Night Football. Uh, once again, oh, here we go. Let's, let's 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 make this huge here. Not the best Joe Burrow picture I could find for this one, but it is what it is. He's doing the Michael Jordan tongue tongue thing going on here. Um, okay, headline, and I'll just say before I even start that you know I come off as a hater a lot because I'm going to want to push back and try to add value versus whatever the the narrative is right now. So Bengals fans, you want to celebrate. 
a convincing win against a top AFC rival. Props to that. You know, if you want to just do that, then go ahead and you can skip forward in this if you're listening to it. Um, not that your performance is bad, but I'm just going to put some color around it, you know, as to what my justice scores say the the kind of like fundamentals were in this game. Plenty of content out there for you. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what may be better. If you're a, if you're a desperate Bills fan who wants to um, soak in the misery of what's going on, and I think we're probably at that point for some Bills fans, uh, again, this is not going to be great for you. I know the results are the results. We all know what the results are. Uh, I'm not just here to tell you what the results are. Um, if your Bills fan is looking for some encouragement, you know, may maybe tune in. Maybe tune in. Um, okay, so basically what happens is my adjusted scores just refuse to give the Bills an L. And in this one, though they lost by six points, it says they were about three points better fundamentally. Now, I could see how that would be for, for those of us who just look at like what happens at the end of the game. And I think that's important also when we talk about like what are bad beats or not in the betting world. I talked about this on a game where we said, Hey, you know, these few plays happened at the end of the game, which meant the team didn't cover. So therefore it was a bad beat that they didn't cover. Well, you know, if you look in the fundamentals of the game, there are lots of plays happening before that where one team can get luckier for, for lack of a better word than another one team can take better advantage of high variance plays that aren't that sustainable. If you want to say it in a technical way than the other. And that matters too, for what's lucky or what isn't lucky. You don't, you don't just concentrate at the end of the game. So I think at the end of the game here, we probably say, okay, uh, when the Bengals score their last field goal, they're up 14 points. They're up 24, 10, the bills get a late touchdown and two point conversion to cut it to six. So therefore it was probably like the Bengals are actually better than six points. Well, no, that's not what my adjusted scores say. And the reason is the bills were just more successful on a play in play out basis. That's a, that's a big factor here that a 55% success rate, which is really, really, really good offensively uh, versus about a 46% success rate for the, Bengals. Now, if you want to make some adjustments to that, you say, well, let's ignore that final drive that the Bills had because maybe the Bengals were playing soft defense up 14 points. I mean, fine. That just lowers their success rate down to 52% versus 55% for the Bills. So it's not like a huge difference here. Um, you really got to look at, you know, what was happening early in the game that's having a big, big influence on this one. And um, again, so if you look at the, the I'll just do the, the percentiles here. The Bills were really, really good running the ball, but they didn't do it that often. Uh, they had about a 64% success rate running the ball. Again, didn't do it that often. Josh Allen was part of that. Bengals only 28% success rate running the ball. So that's part of the reason here. So maybe we shouldn't read too much because if you look at their success rate dropping back to pass, it's about equal. So I could say, okay, maybe the adjusted scores are a little bit off because of that. Now, the thing is both teams passed it a ton. That's a huge theme from this game, and I like it for both teams for what they're doing. The Bengals had a pass rate 18% over expectation. The Bills were 16% over expectation, and that factors in the score and the time and all that sort of stuff right there. Uh, so both teams passed it a lot. The Bengals were slightly better when they did pass it, but they were so bad running the ball that it drove down their, their success rate. So what are some, some other plays? So I could see how, okay, maybe the adjusted scores are a little bit off here, um, but what else is driving this thing? Uh, you know, fumble, really, honestly, if you look at the most impactful plays of the game, you know, a lost fumble for a receiver is something that doesn't happen that often. 
And this one in particular with Dalton Kincaid, like doing a flip and then fumbling the ball. I mean, it's a big loss. These fumbles are big, big, big losses. Uh, normally it's because it's a running back fumble. So it comes on something like first and 10 or second and five, or one of these really, really favorable situations. This one, it was a receiver fumble, but still it did come at first and 10. Um, it cost 4.7 expected points. So that's the most impactful play of the game. Um, even the most positive play of the game was only 4.1 expected points. And I'll get to that in a second for the, for the Bengals. It cost the bills 10, almost 11% win probability. So the most negative play of the game from a win probability perspective. And those numbers are probably understated. If we're going to isolate specifically the fumble, because the fumble came on the end of a nine yard gain, it would have set up a second and one at the Cincinnati 13 yard line, which is a massively big expected points, like great contact situation. Second and one is actually more valuable than first and 10. Um, as far as expected points are concerned, and they would have been on the 13-yard line. So they would have been in that range where, hey, you can get a first down on, on any of the next three plays if you go for it on fourth down by only gaining a yard. Plus, you can take shots at the end zone. You can do all that stuff. So that's a massive, massive play. Where you look at it and you say, okay, it's a fluky play. It's a, you know, At that point in time, they're down 11 points. You know, it kind of... I mean, it doesn't like seal the game, but it almost kind of seals the game at that point. They were in a bad situation and went to an awful situation at that point in time for the Bills. So those are things that, you know, probably don't, it's not that people forget that it happened, but it may not get the proper weighting, just how negative that fumble was. And it is something where, in my opinion, it's kind of like flipping coins as to whether or not that play affects you, your offense or the opponent's offense. Um, the second thing is the Bengals most positive play which was a joe burrow to drew sample touchdown a 22 yard touchdown on third and seven uh, at the end of the first half that one also gets discounted quite a bit in my adjusted scores formula and i'm trying to just like bring you behind the curtain a little bit into what's going into this uh it's 4.1 expected points were added on that play but it gets downweighted for a few different reasons number one it was a third and seven conversion where those are such high levers that when you convert them, you know, you get you get most of the credit, but not all the credit, basically, for that. Uh, number two, it was a negative one air yard throw with 23 yards of yak, which, you know, air yard production is more sustainable than yak production on a play-by-play -play basis. And if you saw this specific play, you know, Drew Sample, I'm sure he's a great player. Um versus me if I was out there. But, I mean, the dude had three catches for 10 yards coming into this game. You know, he caught the ball, uh, juked out one guy, you know, dove over another guy, barely got in the end zone. It, you know, it, it can happen. <laughs> it can happen, but it's probably not, like, the most likely sort of play to happen. Um, so for that reason, it discounts plays like that more so than it discounts a play where you're mostly making everything in air yards. And then, you know, the, the Bills also had another interception where the Bengals didn't have any turnovers, where it was it was a bad throw by Josh Allen. So, you know, Josh Allen, he was trying to hit Gabe Davis down the sideline, um, lost about 3.5 expected points on that one. Um, 
so because of that turnover advantage, about eight points in turnover advantage because they were scoring some plays on a little bit of fluky-ish sort of play, like a Drew Sample 23-yard yak touchdown where he's faking out the entire Bills defense. Eh, you know, it, it, it weighs a little bit on, on the Bengals' score here, and that's what makes the Bills probably about even this game, um, even though you wouldn't as- assume that from what you're from what you're looking at by the numbers. And that's that's how things, you know, work together when it comes to the expected points. Um, listen, if you look at the quarterbacks in this one, you know, Allen's still up there in his EPA per play on the season. Again, like the, the Dalton Kincaid fumble does not hurt his uh, EPA per play. The interception does. But he was he drove pretty good value throwing the ball. He had uh, 3.2 EPA added scrambling and rushing. We saw him score that that touchdown on the ground. He had almost between 12 and 13 percent completion percentage over expected, which is pretty good on an 8.1 yard a dot versus only 5.9 yards for Burrow. So a little bit more challenging. Now they each had 50 plays in this game, and Burrow's overall headline efficiency was 0.28. EPA per play versus 0.18 for Josh Allen. So a little bit better from a headline perspective, but when you look at things like ADOT, when you look at um, some other things like how turnovers affected them, it looks a little bit more even-ish as far as what happened in this game. Um, But again, Burrow, you know, he converted the third downs. He he did what he had to do there. We give him credit for that, for sure. Just giving a little perspective on what happened in this game. Uh, Overall, if we talk about is Burrow back or not and how much you want to build this into projections going forward, like where are you going to place the Bengals? I think the Bengals are going to be pretty high up in most power rankings coming out of this week. They'll be pretty high up for me, too. Maybe not as high as some others. Um, But just to tell you, like, what we've seen for a turnaround for Burrow, and again, Two games we're talking about here. Uh, 0.37 EPA per play in week seven and eight. And if you want to say, like, where would that rank on the season? I mean, that would be number one overall if you've been doing that the entire season. It's only two weeks we're talking about here. But still, he's had those since coming off of the bye, coming off of the cap injury, versus about negative 0.1 in weeks one through six. So, you know, massive, massive turnaround there for Burrow and what he's been doing. And, you know, We'll see how much he continues it going forward. We'll see how much um, this was about the defense's face and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but we'll we'll figure it out. Now, if we're going to look at the the uh, Bills' defense, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's starting to look a little not great. Uh, you know, I always I'm always like, okay, I get it. You had a number of um problems when it came to your I mean a number of injuries on defense. I don't like to overweight those sorts of injuries. But we start talking coming come into recent performances for what we're looking at here. Yeah, I mean they're giving up about 0.2 EPA per play to the Bengals. They're giving up about mm, 0.07 to Tampa. So not great. Tampa's actually been pretty good this year, but still they gave up 0.16 to New England, who's been bad this year. Um, no, they were good against uh, the the pretty good against the Giants, actually. But, you know, the Giants are the Giants. Giants are awful. They're like the second 
they might be the worst. They're the worst offense in the NFL so far this year. So we'll discount that for what it's worth. Against Jacksonville, they got they got smacked a little bit. 0.2 EPA per play. So you start to put together all those, and we're starting now we're all the way back to week five. Yeah, they have had a tough stretch here. I'm not quite willing to call their defense dead, but it has been a top, I mean a bottom 10 defense since the accumulation of injuries. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what's going on going forward. At five and four, it's going to be panic mode there. I think the number one seed is is dust with the fact that the Chiefs have been playing so well this year. And I think we're really going to see against some some pretty poor-ish sort of offenses the next week, the Broncos and the Jets, how this, how this Bills defense has been able to perform. And then we have the gauntlet after that. Then we have the Eagles, the Chiefs, both on the road. Um, the Cowboys at home, the Chargers on the road, the Patriots, eh, you know, whatever. That, that, that could be surprising. And then the Dolphins on the road at the end. We got we got a gauntlet coming up here for the Bills. I guess there's some chance, you know, they don't even make the playoffs at five and four right now, which would be weird because I don't know. No, I think they're still going to be number one in my power rankings uh, going forward. All right, let's get into the Frankfurt game. And the early window, I got CJ Stroud here is the main image on this one. We'll talk Stroud a bit later. Um, Like the only offensive game where anything happened. God, there's some pretty bad games here. Uh, Let's go to Frankfurt. Pretty poor offensive showing here. If you look at the the relative success rates, 43% for the Chiefs, 41% for the Dolphins. Those are just bad, bad numbers here. Uh, The Dolphins relied much more on the run versus the Chiefs on the pass. And the Dolphins were much more successful running the ball than they were passing the ball. And we'll talk about the turnover problems that that happened here. In particular, just a like huge negative when it came to plays that happen here. How I mean, this is the most negative play by far of the week, and this is the context for it. Is not by far, but the most negative play of the week. We have some pick sixes that actually I should check to see if the Bryce Young pick sixes were, were even worse. But Tyreek uh, Hill, we saw it if you watch the game. They're already down 14 nothing. It's at the end of the second quarter. You get a kind of a, I don't know if it's a screen pass, I guess, to Tyreek Hill behind the line of scrimmage. Tackled, fumbles, scoop, lateral, and score. About 10 points, 10 expected points lost on that one. Uh, Mahomes also had a fumble, which cost him about four expected points. But... You know, it's still less than half of the of the negative here for the Tyreek Hill fumble. And each team kind of took a half off doing nothing offensively. The The Dolphins did nothing in the first half. The Chiefs did nothing in the second half. And that's why they were pretty meh overall, even though they had, I think it was a 96% win probability for the Chiefs after they scored. And they scored that, you know, fumble six and went up 21 nothing. Um, it got down to 80 something at some point. So the, the Dolphins definitely made a dent, uh, made a dent in it after a couple of scores, but it never got that low in this particular game. Um, both quarterbacks are pretty bad about flat EPA for both. Um, Mahomes with a 5.6 yard, a dot. I don't know. I mean, what, what are we thinking about this chief's offense? Cause now we're talking about an offense that's it's closer to being in the middle of the pack almost offensively than it is at reaching the best offenses in the NFL, the the Dolphins being one of the best offenses in the NFL. And the best offenses in the NFL are not even that great this year. So I don't know. There's definitely concern about this Chiefs team that's being led by its defense. I mean, in a vacuum, you'd rather have a good defense than a bad defense. So that's good for the Chiefs. But you know, they got to get something going here offensively. 
5.6 yard a dot basically nothing through the air everything's yak that they're they're getting going here making some mistakes uh, only one completed pass of 20 air yards on the game for Mahomes. And, you know, he's spreading the ball around. He's kind of pivoting by doing that. Eight different receivers had two catches, but none of them had more than three catches. I don't know. It's it's not not looking good. Uh, Tua, though, could, really couldn't get anything going in this game. And that obviously that fumble was just massively negative um, on this one. Okay, let's go to... Atlanta somehow they end up losing this game I remember I saw it earlier and the whole Jaron Hall thing and they had and I was like okay this game's not gonna go go well um but then Josh Dobbs comes in and saves saves the day for this one I mean the Falcons offense was bad at 32 percent success rate versus a mediocre 40 percent for the Vikings uh Justin scores had it as the Vikings being slightly better, even versus their three-point differential in this one. So even though they came back, they were seen as being the better team. Uh, much better passing the ball. And that's despite, like, Josh Dobbs making mistakes in this one. Dobbs is weird. Like, you you figure when you look at Josh Dobbs, you would say, okay, he's like a low upside guy who could be successful game managing and um, not making mistakes. Right. Like if you're just going to think about Josh Dobbs, journeyman, not a big arm, uh, all those sorts of things, that's probably what you would assume is the. The least resistance sort of pathway for him to be a successful NFL quarterback, but that's not who he is. He's making tons of mistakes, two fumbles in this one cost him massive, massive, massive EPA, but then a bunch of big plays, including crazy scrambles. I mean, they gained about 35 percent win probability on the fourth and seventh scramble at the end of the game. And then they added on, you know, additional win probability at the end. I think it was an additional like 35% win probability on the final score uh, to win the game. So he's just making like these big, big plays. He converted another third and 10 on a scramble early in the game. He had a touchdown on another one. I mean, he's like making plays, which is very weird. But Dobbs has been up or down. He's basically been making mistakes almost every week. And then sometimes he makes big plays and sometimes he doesn't. Uh, that's why overall his efficiency is still pretty bad for Dobbs. But he kind of, but by doing that, by varying between having a really good game and a really bad game, that actually gives you a better chance of winning some games versus being mediocre all the time or, or kind of bad all the time. And you might just never get over that threshold. So I mean, I still think the Vikings season is basically over, but it is interesting that they perform better in this game by the adjusted scores and the actual scores here. Heineke, I don't think he's going to take that much blame for the fact that they had a lead multiple times and the Falcons defense let them back in multiple times, but he wasn't great. Uh, flat EPA in this one, it's fine. Overall, he's slightly above average for his performance so far this year. Um, too many negatives. The negative eight EPA for interceptions, sacks, and fumbles. And let's see, what did he have here? Uh, we had a bad interception. First and 10 interception to where he was uh, targeting Bird. Lost 16.5% win probability. This was 21 all in the third quarter and six expected points. So, yeah, that was a bad one. Um, But, you know, the running game has been weird. The Atlanta running game has just been bad this year. Almost week in and week out. Um, 3.6 yards per carry, 
2.9 yards per carry for the Vikings. So the Vikings running game continues to be trash. Uh, week in, week out, too. And, you know, I think Heineke was fine. It's negative uh, 7% completion percentage versus expected. So, I don't know. That, that That's not great. But the thing is, you know, Bijan Robinson, you really had his fumble, then the interception back-to-back, and that just crushed them. Um as far as their 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 winning chances to win this game. It was like a back-to-back situation. They're up 21-13. Bijan Robson's in, fumbles. Um, the Vikings score. They get the two-pointer. It's 21-21. Next play, Taylor Heineke, interception. So those two plays right there we're talking about. Um, let's see. That's 9, 10.3 expected points lost on back-to-back plays. Ugh. Nasty. I don't know if Desmond Ritter will be back. I guess, uh, you know, Art Smith will watch the tape or whatever and, and try and figure out what, what's going on over there. Uh, interesting, too, with Josh with Josh Dobbs. He didn't have that big of an of an A dot, but he actually had pretty good air EPA gained versus Yak. So, again, he's slinging it. Ends up with positive 0.14 EPA per play despite 13 EPA lost to interception sacks and fumbles, mostly fumbles. But eight EPA gained on Russian scrambles. Huge game for Dobbs there. Uh, I don't really have anything to say about these teams' chances other than the Falcons are falling off. And I still like the Saints in that division, even though no one's no one's very good. Obviously, you kind of knew that going into the year. Saints defense is looking pretty good, though. So that's something to hang your hat on. All right, Baltimore, Seattle. Okay, um, I will take my lashings for, <laughs> for saying that my numbers liked Seattle in this game. Uh, plus the points. I think it was six in this one. Um, yikes. Although I did say I'll, I'll, I'll hedge here. You know how not hedge, but I'll give myself a, a, an out here like all great analysts do. You got to always say things. You got to always like have a piece of information that you give so you can have an excuse for when things go completely against you. So that's what I'm doing here. I did say I was skeptical of both teams and I was surprised that the Seahawks were you know, seen as being a value here because I was skeptical of their offense also. Well, being skeptical of their offense paid off in this one. 24% success rate. Awful. Absolutely awful. Um, if it wasn't for, wait, well, there's one team that is even worse. If it wasn't for the Cardinals this week, the Clayton Toon, Thune, Toon um, Cardinals, then Seattle would have been the worst this week. But seriously, one of the worst numbers we've seen for a long, long time. Um, they were in the first percentile for offensive efficiency versus the 80th percentile for the Ravens. Now, the thing with the Ravens is, again, it's just one of those games where maybe their defense is really this this good. They are second in defensive efficiency this year versus the Browns. But I'm, I don't know. I'm just always going to be a little bit skeptical of teams that are just living off of their defense. And Geno Smith is a mistake machine a little bit. Um, they had a pretty convincing, and another thing about the Ravens in this game, 50% success rate offensively. Yeah. Some of that is held back by the fact that they didn't have to try that hard up, you know, so much so early. Um, but they also got like some big, big plays when the game was completely out of reach, including Keaton Mitchell. If you knew Keaton Mitchell was a week ago, props to you. Uh, you're a, you're a better NFL observer than I am. He had a 60 and a 40 yard run in this one, the 41 yard one going for a touchdown, 8.5 EPA on those two different plays. Um, and what also was holding down 
the Ravens efficiency was Lamar Jackson. The fumble was pretty bad actually in this second and four up seven, zero second quarter. So again, it's one of those ones where it's like, not like they were totally dominating, you know, seven, zero second quarter, Lamar Jackson fumbles on the Seattle 30 yard line. Come on, Seahawks do something. They just never did anything the entire game outside of a 50 yard catch from uh catch and run by DK Metcalf. Other than that, they didn't do, they did squat. They didn't do squat the entire game. Plus Tyler Huntley came in and scored some points at the end of the game to add to the optics of, of how bad it looked. Um, I was a little bit surprised with Geno Smith here. So he lost about 0.4 EPA per play, which is a God awful number in this game. But I was a little surprised that it was actually not even his worst game of the season on a per play basis. He was basically tied with his game versus the giants earlier this year. I guess I kind of memory hold that one. I didn't, I didn't remember that one. Now he had a lot more plays in this one, 34 plays. So it was a negative 14 EPA in total that he lost. Uh, but could we have our Geno Smith discussion, please? I love Geno. You know, he's good story, all this sort of stuff. I've been very, very skeptical of him this, this entire time. Anyone who's Seahawks fans probably hated me for the fact that I was so skeptical of him this entire season. I realize it's coming off of a very, very, very bad game. So we'll probably regress up a little bit, but still we're talking about uh, when I wrote this, he was 19th in EPA per play. Uh, as of now, I think he's 21st in EPA per play this season. Below Derek Carr, who's been having a bad year. Below Sam Howell, who takes a sack every other play. Below Jordan Love, who you know who's probably not good. He's pretty low. And I get it. They have a bad offensive line, I guess. I mean, you got DK Metcalf. You got uh, Tyler Lockett. You got a running game that's okay. Like, come on. Like, this is, this is bad. This is really bad. Um, and I think it looks a little bit foolish now if we look back a week ago and we look at the trade for Leonard Williams and we say that Seattle was 5-2, and two, they're riding high. All these people are saying, oh, maybe they can win the NFC. That was hopium. That was, that was anyone who was saying that to you. Do not trust them with analysis going forward. I mean, well, I mean, of course they could. Like, if they make the playoffs, anything could happen. But I'm just saying they weren't a good team. They weren't that good of a team. To really think about it versus the, you know, the Eagles of the world, the Cowboys of the world and so on. Uh, the 49ers of the world, not even close to getting to that sort of category, but they were five and two, you know, and the 49ers have lost three straight games. Um, so this irrational enthusiasm, I think, based upon that record said, oh, let's do this. Let's do this trade. We're one player away. Let's get Leonard Williams. Let's trade away a second round pick for a 29 year old player on a big contract. Makes no sense. Um and this was a kick in the kick in the teeth coming off of that sort of uh, expectation. Now for the Ravens offense, so the Ravens defense has been awesome. So I'm I'm upgrading my you know my expectations there. It's good performance against against I mean awesome performance against a pretty good offense this week. But Lamar Jackson it continues to be like week in week out. He's good. He's bad. He's we're not good. He's bad. He's like good or he's mediocre. This is another mediocre week. Somehow he's posting like these insanely high completion percentage over expectation numbers. Like he's completing a bunch of passes, but they're not really getting much value out of it. Um, partially because he had the fumble. So if he didn't have the fumble, he would have had an okay game. But the fumble just negated all the different positives that he had rushing and passing and drove him down to about flat EPA. Um, he had more EPA gained on rushes and scrambles than he even did passing the game. So, you know, it was another kind of mediocre game for Lamar Jackson. Uh, Tyler Huntley came in and uh, put up some big numbers in nine plays. Uh, 
All right, Cleveland versus Arizona. What do I say about this one? 27-0, 18-4 by the adjusted score. So four points is really low <laughs> by the adjusted score. Like you could just show up. And I don't know if I've seen an adjusted score that low at four points. Now, of course, you know, it's, it's not meant to like replicate actual scoring. It's not like it's meant to say, oh, it's like a two safety game or something. You know, it just means like they're like a field goal and, and change worth of offensive performance here. 17% success rate. That's the worst I've seen ever. I mean, ever meaning over the last handful of years that I'm actually tracking this stuff. Um, but the Browns are only at 32% success rate. So they stunk too. Still continues to be bad. I know Watson made some throws here, but he also got a touchdown that bounced off of a defender's helmet and then ended up being caught. And so that's not going to look great by the grading, the PFF grading on this one. Um, zero percentile for the Cardinals offense. Don't need to talk about it that much. Facing a Browns defense that's the best in the NFL and won't look any worse after this one. Um, Clayton Toon, negative one expected point added per play over 34 plays. Like, how did he not get benched in this game at some point? Jeff Driscoll is on that team, right? Is he healthy? I like Jeff Driscoll for a guy you could just run every play. Um, 23 expected points lost to fumbles and interceptions. He had a variety of them in this game. And if you look at Deshaun Watson, eh, again, you know, he added 0.09 EPA per play, which is meh in this one. Um, had enough rushing success to negate his, I think he took one sack in this game. So didn't make mistakes and that's good, but not a lot of off, not a lot of upside to the passing game. Not that he needed to do much in this game. So, you know, Log the W for the Browns, but continue to not be very impressed by their offense. And it's going to be tough to advance out of the very far out of the AFC unless they get some things going offensively. Um, Packers and Rams. Does anyone care about this game? Um, without Stafford there, Brett Rippon, you know, stunk 20, 30% success rate. Uh, Jordan Love was okay in this game, so let's give Love some some credit here. 0.24 EPA per play, 12% or 11.6% completion percentage over expected, and that was the number that was kind of flashing red early in the season when his efficiency was good. He wasn't being accurate with good efficiency, so I was skeptical of efficiency. Now he's combining the two, so that's good. Uh, did make some mistakes, though, but negated it with with some big plays. Uh, Aaron Jones also had a fumble, which kind of kept the score a little bit closer than you might think. Um, all the Packers receiver Wicks also had a fumble. So those really kept the score closer than what it even was. It could have been even a lot worse than the 20 to three score in some ways. Um, Cause that held down the Packers offense that was running pretty well at that point. Again, not a lot to say here. Neither one of these teams I think are competing to really get in the playoffs and do anything, but you know, if Jordan love can stack more games like this, maybe we get interested. In, in what he can do, although not too interested. Uh, Texans, Bucks, the offensive fireworks here. 39-37, Texans come back with the last-minute victory here. Now, the adjusted scores are quite a bit lower on this one because the success rates were low on this one. It was much, very much a, like a big play-focused sort of offensive performance for both teams. And it's not just big play by yardage, but like big conversions also. For this, I had a 25-21. Uh, 
Um, but I did have the Texans being the better team. So even if they would have not converted that final touchdown, I would have still had them as being the better team and deserving to win in this game because they had a 43% success rate versus only a 39% success rate for the Bucks. But again, these teams just, you know, put up a ton of points and huge efficiency, both in the 85th-ish sort of percentile efficiency-wise. Um, that's because we got a lot of green at the top of the most impactful plays of the game on this one. You have a 75-yard touchdown to Noah Brown. You have a 15-yard touchdown to um, Tank Dell at the end of the game. 50% win probability swing on that one. You have a nine-yard touchdown on fourth and nine to Dalton Schultz. You have a 53-yard catch and run by Mike Evans. I mean, these are big, big plays. You have a DPI, which gained about four expected points for the Bucks. You have another 26-yard catch from Dalton Schultz. Well, Dalton Schultz is doing some work in this game. Um, and then you have a 29-yard touchdown, another 29-yard touchdown in the third quarter to Tank Dell. So there's a, like a, just a ton of big plays in this game, which kind of masked the fact that on a play-in and play-out basis, they weren't very good especially running the ball, but what we should be happy about, and we're not like enthusiastic, we're not massively enthusiastic about, we should be happy about is the fact that the Texans were actually 4.5% pass rate over expectation. The first time they've been, they've been really close to even, even they've been like a run dominant team this year, despite the fact that they can't run the ball. Still, I'd like to see more passing, more reliance, on C.J. Stroud, who is now up in the top eight, I think, in efficiency per play so far this year. Um, and the Bucks, like, I, you know, whatever. I guess you don't want to rely too much on Baker Mayfield. But pass rate was 8% under expectation. Probably got too conservative there. They were running okay, but, you know, nowhere close to what they were doing passing the ball. Texans absolutely stunk running the ball. So you, you got to turn away from running the ball a little bit more here. Uh, well, I'll talk about the 470 passing yards for Stroud, which is a rookie record. Five touchdowns, I guess, is not a record because nobody's saying it's a record, but that, that has to be at least tied for a record, right? Someone have six touchdowns as a rookie? Maybe someone does. Um, only needed 40 seconds to lead the Texans on a 75-yard game-winning score at the end. Pretty good from C.J. Stroud. 0.46 EPA per play. Positive 13.6 CPOE. That's another really good number. Uh, 11 yard a dot so this was not a dink and dunk and yak play this was a lot of air yards here which we love to see and with 53 plays on this massive volume not many mistakes only 3.9 epa lost to um any sort of sacks interceptions fumbles and i guess in this one what what happened it was sacks right uh, three sacks for 27 yards. So that's where it all came from in this one. Now, they actually had some troubles converting. They didn't convert that well on third downs, which held down some of the numbers. It could have been even higher for C.J. Stroud on this one. Uh, but, you know, looking very much like, and I, th I think I said this before, I am willing. I was willing weeks ago to say C.J. Stroud, if I had to, I'd take him over Bryce Young if I had to do it. I'm very, very willing to flip my opinion there quickly when we talk about the number one versus the number two pick and we're getting more and more evidence of that um, on a weekly basis and I think it's also going to go into I want to use Stroud you know you don't want to be like you want to be process focused not results focused but we got to focus on results sometimes because I think when I when I, when I'll say to Bears fans and I said this you know early in the year that maybe they should have th they should have thought about 
drafting a quarterback with the number one pick. Well, they're all going to come back and say, well, we would have just got Bryce Young and he stinks. Well, come on. You can't just look at Bryce Young. Okay, let's say you had Stroud and Bryce Young, and it's a coin flip-ish sort of situation between the two, who you're going to go number one. I mean, one was one and one was two, right? I know we got all this negativity about Stroud in the lead-up to the draft, which made it seem like Bryce Young was so far ahead of Stroud in a lot of people's minds, but we don't know what was going on in NFL front offices. I mean, the markets were pointing towards Stroud being the number one pick, Um after the Frank Reich hire and all that sort of stuff. It wasn't until later that it flipped over when that intelligence started to, 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 to fan out. And, you know, we had all these negatives about Stroud always going to go after Will Levis, and he ended up going number two in the draft. So, like, Bears fans can't just point to the failures of Bryce Young and saying, oh, see, we were right to just wait till next year when the guy who went right after him is looking like a complete stud. So if you get like an, let's say you had two picks, one's a bust, one's an elite quarterback at one and two, that basically means you had a coin flips chance of getting an elite quarterback. You take that chance for the number one pick. I'm sorry. And I know the results might've blown up in your face. You might've had Bryce young and it looked really bad right now versus CJ Stroud. But guess what? It's you're really, really close to maybe also having CJ Stroud right now. Wouldn't you rather have CJ Stroud right now than have picks next year where you might get somebody who's a top prospect? I mean, it looks good now, but who knows what's going to happen? Um, if you're definitely going to get that top prospect, and if you do definitely get that top prospect, what's the likelihood that it's going to look better than what CJ Stroud has shown you already in the NFL? which is very, very, very important. I know it's early, but it's still very, very, very important on how we adjust our priors and our expectations already halfway through this season. Um, you know, DJ Moore or not. And you say, oh, CJ Stroud would have failed if he was on the the Bears. Whatever. I, don't, I mean, if you want to just, you know, throw an excuse for everything, then throw an excuse for everything. Um, but you can't ignore C.J. Stroud and only focus on Bryce Young when we're talking about whether or not you should take more shots at the top of the draft, even if you can't completely rule out the young quarterback you currently have. Take those shots. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I'll give him a little bit of props here. 0.32 EPA per play. Didn't get a chance to throw enough, honestly, so they didn't have that many yards. Like The yardage numbers were very much skewed in the favor of the Texans. Um, but, you know, the, guy, the guy's good. The guy's been good. He's been mostly like a fourth down, I mean, third down conversion guy, but he had a good overall game in this one. Baker Mayfield, average quarterback. Uh, Patriots, commanders, commanders with the three-point win. Eh, you know, the, the Patriots, kind of an interesting one. Like, Belichick's not going to be in tank mode ever, so these losses matter. Ron Rivera's coaching for his job, but other than that, we don't really have, like, a lot of playoff considerations for this one. Another bad offensive game for the Patriots, even though the commanders are trading away all of their defensive linemen. And also bad third down conversion sort of thing. Howe was a lot better in doing that. Even though Howe had a like a hugely negative play, um, maybe even like the worst play of the week. If you watched it back, first and goal from the five-yard line, down 10 to 14. At the end of the second quarter, he's just rolling, 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 and just throws the ball into the end zone and with the defender right there, like who didn't even have to move. Like, but that's you can't do that, man. 5.5 expected points lost, about 18, 19% win probability loss on that one. So, despite that, Howell still had a positive game, though. Um, 
because the Patriots and the Patriots couldn't do anything offensively out of other than a 64 yard touchdown for Ramondre Stevenson. Um, Hal added 0.12 EPA per play. Uh, still took three sacks, but maybe that's an improvement for him. In a way, still going for that record. Strong, strong chance of breaking that record for most sacks this season if he can stay healthy. Um, still being used a ton. I mean, 53 plays, even though they were winning this game. Pass rate, uh, 8% over expectation. So Eric Bieniemy continues to just put the ball in Sam Howell's hands. And I do think it's a little bit worrying that when he has a lot of upside to the passing game, he still has the mistakes and the sacks that make it so he has like good but not fantastic efficiency. I don't know. It's one of those ones where Howell's going to be this guy where you're going to say, if he would stop taking, if he stops having the negatives, he could be great. I'm still giving him a window to to get into that category, like that that the if may actually happen, but week in week out, it's not looking better as far as cutting down on those negatives. Uh, New Orleans, Chicago, another game for the Bears that has no playoff implications, but um, we did get another week of Tyson uh, Bajent. I think I said that correctly. And he was okay. Uh, Carr was also okay, but the defense is pretty good. Pretty good. Massive, massive, massive turnover advantage here. 22.1 EPA advantage on turnovers. So even though Carr had negative EPA per play, he had zero interceptions, zero sacks, zero fumbles. So that's that's pretty good. And his negative was, you know, a fourth and one. They didn't convert. I didn't see it. I don't know if it was a tush push situation or a sneak or whatever. So that hurt him a bit. He would have been like had an okay number. 4.2 yard A dot though. Jeez. Talking about neutered. But I guess he didn't really have to worry that much. Saints defense is looking pretty good this year for what it's worth. Um, And, you know, the Saints are in pretty good control, I think, of that division. Let's see what our friends at, at um, DraftKings, I'm just bringing it up because it's the easiest one for me to find are coming up with so far for um, division winner NFC South Saints minus 145 Falcons plus 190 Bucks plus 600 Panthers plus 1 million um it's not 1 million I'm kidding uh, plus uh 15,000 basically 1 million uh yeah so the Saints are in the lead there I'd probably like them a little bit more than that but you know the Falcons are creeping I guess too offensively like I just feel like offensively they could they could they should get a little bit more going here I don't, I don't get what's going on with Derek Carr over there I mean I'm not a Derek Carr fan but he's better than this I think okay let's get to the let's finish off the late window which is only a few games really one game that people actually cared about here Eagles Cowboys lived up to the hype here this is a good one uh both about 48 percent Success rate on this one, everything was even as far as the advantages are concerned when it comes to turnovers, third and fourth downs, special teams. Um, so I had it as basically being an even game, flat, even game. Um, obviously, the Eagles won by five points, but this is a game where if you replay it 20 times, or even actually you replay it a thousand times, each team is going to win, you know, around 500 times in this sort of game. Um, Eagles, better offense efficiency overall, but a lot of that was like fourth down failure on the one-yard line for the, the Cowboys. That was a big one. 
hugely negative. They also failed on a fourth and eight. So you just rearrange those fourth downs a little bit, and all of a sudden the Cowboys win the game. Can't run the ball, though. So that is problematic. 22% success rate trying to run the ball for the Cowboys. Negative 0.2 EPA per play running the ball versus positive 0.25. And it's not like it's even fumble-driven, right? Like they just, they're just bad at running the ball. Normally when you see these bad running numbers, you assume that it's a fumble situation. I mean, CeeDee Lamb lost a fumble, so that hurt their passing numbers. That was the most negative play by, you know, for, for their passing numbers. Oh, actually, that didn't really count. That was at the end of the game. Uh, but it did hurt their numbers a little bit overall. That was when he was just trying to make something happen at the end. But, um, I mean, Tony Pollard, it's actually not bad. 4.3 yards per carry. But 12 carries, 51 yards. Rico Dowdle, two carries, eight yards. Yeah, but just not getting the conversions when you need it. And also they got hurt. I guess they got hurt by the fourth down. Why well, was the fourth down a run or a pass? What was a pass? Oh, they shouldn't have got hurt there. Yeah, I don't know. Just like mediocre. Not getting enough big plays in the rushing game there for the Cowboys. And the Eagles continue to get their tush pushes, which pushes them up. And they had huge, huge efficiency passing the ball in this one. So Cowboys defense, I mean, I'm... It's been one of those ones where they've completely stomped on certain teams and got a ton of turnovers. And when they're not getting those turnovers and Jalen Hurts didn't have a turnover in this game, uh, things can get a little rough. Eagles defense, five sacks. So that helped. Three sacks for the Cowboys defense. So they did get the sacks, but if you don't get the um, if you don't get the fumbles, and they did cause three fumbles in this game. That's another actually interesting factor. Jalen Hurts fumbled, DeAndre Swift fumbled twice, but zero recoveries. So unlucky there. That, that goes into my numbers too. The adjusted score numbers, which showed this one as being even in this game. Uh, CeeDee Lamb, 191 yards and 11 catches. Dak Prescott, 374 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He did take five sacks though. So he, he, he didn't play as well as the numbers. In this one, uh, but they don't get the W even though he had a lower EPA per play in the game. Uh, Prescott and Hertz are now up to fifth and sixth in EPA per play on the season, only behind Tua, Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Brock Purdy. So both looking pretty good there. Uh, disappointing loss for the, for the Cowboys, because if they won this, they could have been on a bit of a streak here to be able to catch the Eagles. They would have had a nice little run of games here. Uh, couldn't do it. Uh, Jalen Hurts continues to, you know, Passed the ball extremely well in this one. The Eagles defense has been a little bit more suspect this year overall. Um, but the Dallas defense, again, you got to show up in these games if you want to be considered a really great defense. I know you have the stats so far this year, but a lot of that is based upon just stomping on teams in certain games and then not showing up nearly as much in others where, where they really need to show up. Um, if you want to consider that like a plus that you can count on in the playoffs and a Super Bowl run. Uh, and let's look at the odds now for the NFC East. Yeah, I mean, it's not over, but it's close. Minus 550 for the Eagles versus plus 370 for the Cowboys. So that one really hurt. Would have been closer to not even, but it would have been close to even if the um, Cowboys could have won that game. All right, Raiders, Giants, who cares? Uh, 30 to 6. Good job, Raiders. You cleaned house. Um, you got Aiden O'Connell in there. 0.3 EPA per play. Yeah, it's pretty good. Only 25 plays, though. He didn't have to do a whole lot. Uh, Tommy DeVito is like redefining awfulness. I mean, he's in a tough spot, clearly. But 
losing half a point EPA per play. And pretty much he did that last time he came in too. He just, you just feel like can't do anything and making big mistakes. I mean, Daniel Jones was awful when he was in the game, but you know, RIP, it looks like a torn ACL at least, you know, I always like to hedge the negativity when these things happen and it sucks. It sucks for him. You know, he's a football player. He wants to play. He affects his career, all those sort of stuff at the same time, you know, got that contract pretty much has 40 million coming his way next season. So 40 million this season, another 40 million coming his way next season. So, Hey, you know, at least you got that contract. At least, at least you got the injury after the contract. That's good ordering for me. Um, now it's not like, you're not happy about it, but that's good ordering. Um, do we care about O'Connell going forward? I don't know. Maybe who knows? Um, didn't make any mistakes. I don't know what's going on with the Giants' defense. I mean, I know they traded away Leonard Williams, so maybe they're in total retreat mode, and they're looking across the way at Danny. I was about to say Danny DeVito, Tommy DeVito, and you know they're like, "What the hell are we doing here? Why do we care? What's going on?" Because uh, Aiden O'Connell was just sitting back there. Actually, had a low completion percentage over expected. So if you want to nitpick his performance, whenever I see high efficiency and low CPOE. Very low CPOE. You get a little bit, you know, suspicious of what's going on there. But neither team's doing anything this year, obviously. Uh, Giants. Where are we on the tank tankathon for Giants and number one pick? Because this gets a little bit interesting, despite the fact they have Daniel Jones, right? They have the fourth pick right now at two and seven. I guess they they their strength of schedule has been a little bit better. So while they're officially tied with the Bears. Record-wise, the Bears are in third place. Bears have the second and third pick. I don't know. Giants, you know, especially with the ACL, this gives you an excuse to doing what you probably should do, which is if you have a chance to take a quarterback to do so, even if you're paying Daniel Jones $40 million for the next year. you got a nice, like, cheap quarterback there. Uh, Raiders, now the Raiders are playing themselves out <laughs> of, the, of the tank here. I mentioned that they were three and five, and they had like two very winnable games the next two weeks. Well, the Giant, the Jets aren't as winnable. This was obviously a winnable game. So now they're four and five. They could be five and five if they beat the Jets. Um, last game here. Oh, God, I have a lot of uh, copy and pasting issues on this post. I apologize. The last game here, Panthers Colts. Not a, much to talk about here, um, other than let's see. Like, do the Colts have any chance? of doing anything i don't think so right they're they're out right um as far as playoffs or anything like that yeah yeah i mean plus 380 i guess it's not totally out but um the colts get the get the victory just the score is a little bit more narrow just because there's so many turnovers for the panthers here the, you know two pick sixes no matter how poorly you're playing you'd assume that that's not going to like, that's not representative of the actual performance. 18.4 expected points lost to those two pick sixes. Uh, and he had another pick for another 3.2 expected points lost. Yikes. 27 expected points lost to interceptions and sacks in this one. 4.6 yard a dot e for Bryce Young in this one. Ugh. After a, it was a performance last week, like, they won against the Texans. He looked okay, but he still had a bunch of sacks, so he didn't have, like, great efficiency. Now Bryce Young falls back down again, and it's basically, like, better than New York quarterbacks 
are all you can really say about Bryce Young this year. So better than Zach Wilson, better than Daniel Jones in efficiency, better than that bad. Uh, Minshew, actually not not too bad. So Minshew's given you like, you know, flat EPA type of performance, which is what you'd expect from him this year. Uh, still not a lot going on there. Still time for Bryce Young to turn things around. But obviously, like I mentioned before, when I was talking about CJ Stroud, I am massively adjusting my priors based upon what we're seeing so far this season. And it's not bad to do so. All right, we got a question in the comments. Uh, I'll answer that and then I'll get out of here. It says, how much of a problem do you think throwing the baby out with the bathwater is for coach GM firing? So if a coach gets a bad quarterback, e.g. Fields, and gets fired, does his performance really reflect ability? Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, the thing is I'll say is I, I generally f- fall on the side of coaches mattering a lot less than we think. So, yeah. Like, the coach is more subject to, like, quarterback play than not. I mean, let's just look at Belichick, right? Often when you point to these teams that have tons of stability over time, like the Green Bay Packers, let's say, you're also pointing to teams who have pretty good quarterback play over a long period of time. So it's it's tough to disentangle the two of those. Now, Mike Tomlin's actually done a pretty good job without having that quarterback play, but then the defense has been good. There's been some lucky games, especially this year. Uh, but even he's starting to get some heat. Uh, although I saw someone say you should be fired, someone who's like a radio guy in Pittsburgh, or should be like on the hot seat or something. And, you know, he was properly uh, de-pantsed uh, by, by Twitter or by X. Sorry, Elon, on, on, on that one. Um, so, yeah, I would just say coaches are less impactful than we might think they are. And, um, and we also have a probably a bad impression of coaching because whenever a coach is fired, it means the team is underperforming what the expectations are, presumably based upon the talent on the team. So whenever you have bad variance that has nothing to do with coaching, that gets lumped on coaching. And then more often than not, when the coach is fired, the team was going to regress and get better anyway. So when the team gets better, it looks like the new coach is having some sort of positive effect versus the old coach in some minds where that's not necessarily the case. So that's another thing to keep in mind when we see coaches being replaced. No one, no team is like outperforming and is going to have a negative regression with their talent level outside of coaching uh, when the coach gets fired. Those two things just don't go hand in hand. It's either they're performing in line with expectations and their actual ability, or they're performing worse than their actual ability and the new coach gets a benefit from that. All right, everybody, that's it. Come back at you on Friday. Uh, Subscribe, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Get all that goodness there. Um, okay, we've got, we got another one, a follow-up here. Would it be wrong to say the coaches provide more downside variance? Basically, they can easily lead a team being worse, but don't contribute as much to stellar performance. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get, I think from a logical standpoint, I'll give you that. I think, cause I, I think what happens is the replaceability of coaches is very high. So meaning like coach a versus coach B, like there, there are many more than 32 great head coaches in the world. Whereas there are not more than, 
you know, a handful of great quarterbacks in, in the world. That's just the way it goes. Like, we're, we're not just missing a bunch of quarterbacks. We might be missing some. There, I'm sure there are some guys who are like the Tom Brady's of the world who never got on the field and then weren't that good. Yeah, but that's less likely than like a coach never got a chance to, to, to be a coach, right? And get in there and be that. So because of that, you should have like a minimum threshold of coaching that should be fulfilled by everyone. So if one coach doesn't even reach that minimum threshold and they're like really bad, let's say an Urban Meyer situation, um, yeah, I could see that. But at the same point in time, I'm kind of a believer in just assuming everything is a normal distribution. It's just that normal distribution is going to be very narrow for coaches versus for players. It's a much wider effect. Um, and the coaching effect is much more narrow. Uh, and we give, to, I would say, if anything, we give too much credit to like the the the, the good coaches and the effect that they're having. Um, whereas, yeah, if there, if anything, it would be skewed towards the bad coaches, and those are the ones that we should be weeding out more so than uh, giving too much praise to the good coaches, in my opinion. All right, everybody. Be back on your Friday, uh, unexpectedpoints.subtech.com. Go subscribe and get all that stuff. Uh, otherwise, I'll be talking at you in a few days. Take it easy. Bye.